You've tuned in to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Hello and welcome again to the program. Ever looked around you, looked at your life and wondered whether this is all there is? If what you see is not all that inspiring, you could rightly decide there is little point to it all. But wait, there's more. Tonight, Dr. Corbett continues a series of discussions that may well change your life. Basing his discussions on Rick Warren's book, A Purpose Driven Life, Dr. Corbett explores the importance of and the process of finding purpose and meaning for life. Don't be afraid, settle in and listen as Dr. Corbett continues with the third in this series on finding purpose and meaning for life. Father, as we open up your word now, help us to explore what you want us to know, in fact, what we have to know. Father, I pray that you would speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like you to turn to Isaiah 40, just as we introduce this particular aspect of discovering purpose and meaning for our lives. In one respect, uh, there, is, there is some very general purposes that God has given to us all. And perhaps for some, they are so simple that they're unbelievable. And for them, perhaps unacceptable. And I'm constantly reminded of the, the episode that took place late in the 1800s when the morbidity rate of, uh, of women in childbirth was alarmingly high and doctors were frantically searching for new medical procedures or drugs or whatever it was that could, could curb the, the death rate among women bearing children. And one doctor came along and said, well, I think it's got something to do with hygiene and bacteria, which was a revolutionary concept in the late 1800s. And he said, I think if we simply had doctors wash their hands before going in to deliver a child, that would have a huge impact. And he was laughed at. And for 20 years, his, his paper just sat gathering dust and in the early 1900s, someone got it out, read it and said, well, look, it's worth a try because nothing else has worked. And lo and behold, it cut the death rate dramatically uh, of women giving children. It was so simple, it seemed unbelievable. And when we look at some of these aspects of God's plan and God's purpose so that we can put some meaning to our lives, they might seem so simple they're unbelievable. But I trust that we've come to find that they work, they are real, they do give us that peace and direction that we desperately need. In Isaiah 40, from verse 6, it says, A voice cries, and I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fades, and the breath of the Lord blows the grass blows on it. Surely the people are grass, blows on it, withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. The prophet Isaiah, some 700 years before John the Baptist would arrive, prophesied that John the Baptist would come, and he prophesied that John the Baptist would proclaim a message that this is not all that life is. There is more to life than this. 
And if you've ever studied history, you'll notice that you can go through genealogies and timelines and you can look at your ancestors or look at the ancestors of, of uh, great people and, and they're, just, they're just notes. They're just, they're just noted. Their life is just noted, you know. Um, the kings of England, I've got a great big wall chart. I'm fascinated by uh, British history a bit and I've got a great big wall chart because I tried to figure out the lineage of the, the British royalty and I still can't figure it out. But, but, and I've got it there right in front of me. And you look at some of the lifespans of these kings and queens of England and some of them lived quite long lives but they're just one line on a page. One line on a page. And scientists tell us that this earth is probably part of the... Probably somewhere around about 4.5 billion years old. That's what scientists say. I don't know if they're right, but it seems that they're, they're becoming more and more convinced that that's about the, ball mark, the, the, the ballpark where the universe began. And they say that, that life on earth is somewhere around you know, 70 to 30,000 years or so, somewhere in that vicinity. When you think about it, that's a long time. But when you think about our lives, imagine mapping out 4.5 billion years on, on one clock and then how much would your life count on that clock? You know, for some of us, it, 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 wouldn't, even be, it wouldn't even be a tick. It would be a part of a tick. Life is short. And that's what the prophet is saying here. And I guess as Christians, I, I want us to understand our first purpose, which we looked at, and that is to be connected with God. Now, again, that can sound like make sure you wash your hands before delivering a child or wash your hands before and after a meal. It sounds so simple. It sounds like, no, no, give me the complicated stuff. I'm sorry. We're not going to try and get very complicated. We're going to keep it as simple as we can based on what God has already shown us. And the first thing he says is stay connected with me. Stay in relationship with me. You know, there's a lot of people over the years who have come to me and said, Pastor, I I just don't seem to be able to hear God anymore. I just don't seem to experience his presence. Just this last week, I was listening to Ravi Zacharias and he said, you can, you can always tell those Christians who are in the presence of God as part of their life because they seem to know his voice. He said, if you're not in God's presence, you can't hear his voice. Because where the presence of God is, the voice of God is, where the voice of God is, you're hearing the word of God. You know, as I think about that, I think about my own life. I think about those times when I become so busy doing what I think God wants me to do that I actually stop spending time with him. And it's possible to crown our lives with so many noble things that we become so busy. We allow our heads, our hearts, our minds to be so Filled with noise and activity and and just uh, just stuff that we've allowed the voice of God to be crowded out of our hearts and minds. How many times? How many times during a day are you able just to stop and be still and put away the noise? Put away the distractions. 
and just begin to seek God in his presence. See, the Bible says, seek me and you will find me. Knock, it'll be opened, ask and you'll receive. And a lot of Christians want to bypass that. And they want to go straight to the, I want to hear God. Well, if you're wondering why you can't hear God, the scripture says, if you seek, which means get still, get quiet and listen. And as I understand what God's word says, I can't find any drive through spirituality in here. You know, you arrive at the, 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 the takeaway food store and uh, you come to the driveway thing and you, you wind down your window and, and a voice comes out of the speaker and says, <laughs> and you just sort of, yeah, I'll have, a, I'll have a burger and Coke and I think, window. And you're trying to think, what? I've got no idea what you're saying. But by the time you get to the window, there's your bag of, I'll use the term loosely, food. And it's there in a snap. And sometimes we approach our spiritual lives in connecting with Christ like that. Okay, God, I've got a minute before I've got to dash off somewhere. Give it your best shot. And we wonder why. We wonder why. We're not hearing God. We wonder why. And I actually think it's a strategy of the enemy to crowd and to cloud out the voice of God. But it begins by us coming into his presence. It begins by us making a resolution that we're going to have a heart that's just still before him. And so when, when I see Christians, people who should be connected with God, People who should know God. People who shouldn't have to be told to read the word. They shouldn't have to be told to pray. They shouldn't have to be conjoled by a pastor to come to church because their hearts ache to be in God's presence. They're the kind of people that do all that without having to be prodded and without having to be whipped up or beaten up or preached at or yelled at. They want to know God. And Christian, I think we need to be very careful that we don't so crowd and cloud our hearts and minds and souls that we can't hear God. And when, when I hear of Christians that lose hope, when I hear of Christians that have gone through the mill, and their lives are so fragile and that they begin to talk like this, why would God let me down? Where was God in the midst of all this? Rather than recognising I need to come into his presence. I need to come into his presence so I can hear what he has to say about this. And I referred previously to W.E. Sankster, a great British preacher, who back in the early 1900s, during the, the times when telephone calls were manually connected, he was waiting for a call from his wife and he was on the line and he, he just recited the lines of a hymn that said something like this, I don't always know what's going on, but nevertheless, I trust the one who does. 
And as he heard the operator's voice say, could you just repeat that? I don't always know what's going on, but I trust the one who always does. She said, thank you. You'll never know how much that means to me right now. And that might be the case for us too. As we seek to find purpose and meaning for our life, it means this, that we're living for something. That's our purpose. And when things that we don't understand happen, we can give it some meaning. And I want us to understand how God intends for us to do that. We were made for a purpose. I don't believe we invent our purpose. I believe we discover our purpose. And I believe as we discover the purposes that God has for us, we'll live a life that's fulfilling. It says in Ephesians 1.11 in the Message Translation, it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Long before we first heard of Christ, he had his eyes on us, had designs on us for glorious living, part of the overall purpose He's working out in everything and everyone. You know, he said the average person lives 25,550 days. That's about 3,780 weeks. It's not long. And not even that's guaranteed. That can be cut short tragically. So what time, what little time we have, we need to ensure that we're doing the absolute best with it that we've got. Well, many a person has looked at life, they've got into their routine, they've began to perhaps find what the world says is success and then they've sat back and and asked the question, is this as good as it gets? I don't know how many people remember Evil Knievel. He kind of... For those two people who know who Evil Knievel was, he was a daredevil. And uh, he was quite famous when I was growing up and and he he tragically died during one of his stunts. But there was a young Australian man by the name of Dale Buggins. Anyone remember? Dale, three hands. I'll see those hands. I'll pray for you later. Uh, who, Who decided to emulate this man. And, you know, he did. He became very successful. And in fact, he could do all the things that Evil Knievel, the American motorcycle stunt rider, could do and, and reach the pinnacle at a very young age, early 20s. And then it was front page newspaper headlines when it was discovered that Dale Buggins had been found dead, having committed suicide. He reached the very pinnacle of what he thought his life was all about. And when he got there, he said, is, is this as good as it gets? Because if this is as good as it gets, I'm not interested. And many people have reached the top of what the world says is success and got there and thought, is this it? Is this it? You know, and without God in the equation, life is very, very frustrating. And it's very difficult to really want to find out whether life has any meaning and not bring God into the equation. In fact, C.S. Lewis ingeniously said this, A young man who wishes to remain a sound atheist cannot be too careful of his reading. His point is if you go looking, you'll find God and you won't have to do it very hard. If you're an atheist, 
Don't read anything and you can be safe. This is what C.S. Lewis also said. Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is of moderate importance. If Christianity is true, it should radically get a hold of your life and your life should be totally different because you're a Christian. The statement, I am a Christian, are literally life-changing words. You cannot be the same if you're a Christian. Your life cannot be going in the same direction as people who don't know Christ. C.S. Lewis also said this, If the whole universe has no meaning, we should never have found out that it has no meaning, just as if there were no uh, light in the universe, therefore no creatures with eyes, we should never know that it was dark. Dark would be without meaning. Do you see what he's saying? The very fact that we know there's something more to life indicates there must be more to life. You see, C.S. Lewis is making the point that if there was never, ever, ever any light, there'd be never, ever, ever any such thing as dark. Because that's just the way it always would be. And it wouldn't be dark, it would be normal. The very fact that we know there's got to be more to life than this. Just waking up in the morning, going to school, finishing school, getting a job, getting married, having a family, getting a mortgage, not even necessarily in that order, and then working until your retirement. Is that all life is about? The answer is no, that's not what life is all about. There's more. There's more. Is this as good as it gets? No. There's something beyond this life. Ever gone to a funeral? I, you know, in being a pastor, you... You get to take funerals and, and, and some of them are a delight. Some of them are a celebration. Some of them are a celebration, not of life, but of mystery. For some people, where, as an officiating minister at a funeral, I'm not certain, I'm not sure where their eternal destiny is. And for me who maybe barely knew them or didn't know them at all. It's a celebration of mystery. The mystery, where is this person now? And you know, I've, it's, it's hard to go to a funeral where, the, where a loved one has passed away and there's not a sense of injustice, a little sense. Is this the end? This can't be the end. And there's a sense there where people recognise this person hasn't ceased to exist. This person has changed address. Left behind their body and gone to be somewhere else. Again, this is a bit of a C.S. Lewis fest. C.S. Lewis said this, We are not bodies with souls. We are souls with a body. Now, when you get the order right, you recognise that this life is not all there is. This is training for eternal life. This life won't last. This life could be cut off by the end of the day for some of you, and I hope it isn't, but it could be. And for some who aren't connected with God, who don't know about eternity, 
that could be the most tragic thing that ever happens to you. Someone, someone said to uh, Viktor Frankl, who was a survivor of Auschwitz, they said, with all the atrocities that were committed by the Nazis and the SS in, 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 in World War II and in, in Auschwitz, in these concentration camps, didn't you become convinced that with such evil being atrocity, uh, committed that there was no God? He said, good man, you obviously weren't there. The harder it got, the more convinced I was that I needed God to get through. Wow. Different way of thinking. And we need to recognise that there is more to life than this. Is this as good as it gets? No, we can get better. But you know what? Even as good as it gets here will never be as good as it will be. Heaven. Heaven. You know, I, I remember seeing a cartoon of, of a twins inside a mother's womb talking with each other about the uncertainty about what lie ahead. And they began to talk like we would talk living on earth. They began to talk about, well, I don't know if there is anything after the womb. I don't know if there really, I don't know if we exist after the womb. I don't ever want to leave the womb. I want to prolong my time in the womb as long as I can. The way we talk about being on earth. Now we look at it, then we can see how funny that is. And I wonder, I just wonder when we talk like that about earth, how people, how God in heaven must view that from his perspective. If we only knew what heaven was really like. You know, we get a glimpse in scripture. What is heaven like? What is heaven? C.S. Lewis said this. Aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. Live as if you're being prepared for heaven. You know, the Bible talks of heaven <clears throat> over 500 times. Isn't that interesting? 500 references to heaven, the heavens, another world. It refers to hell. How many times do you think? Heaven, 500 times. How many times hell? 32 times. You heard me correctly. 32 times it refers directly to hell. For those of you who are Greek scholars, you'll say, yes, well, you didn't count Hades. Well, yes, I did, and that's 11 times. And even still, that's only 43 times. That's not even one-tenth of the times that it talks of heaven. Isn't that awesome? Doesn't that tell you what God's perspective is? He wants us to come home. He wants us to spend eternity with him in heaven. Man, it says in 1 Corinthians Chapter 2 and verse 9, speaking of the wonders of heaven. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Talking of heaven. It's just impossible to begin to imagine. Have you ever heard, ever gone to a concert where you've heard perhaps a symphony orchestra and 
you've just kind of felt like you've been lifted up out of your seat and every note is played right and it just blends together and you marvel at the fact that it's happened in a in an opera type house or a symphony hall where not even the need for artificial amplification and you just marvel at it and then somebody who wasn't there asks you so how was the concert and you say oh it was it was it was what words do you use you feel like it's like my wife when she walks in you know i've been watching the movie start first 15 20 minutes watching the movie she goes right what's happening and you should have been here from the start. <laughs> if I'd start telling you what happened, because it takes me about an hour to describe 15 minutes, you know, why make a short story when you can make it a long story? I'll miss the rest of the movie. What's heaven like? You know, the only times we get just glimpses of it. It's like, it's like Paul, he, him, in here writing, you know, he, he writes this and he says, look, Ah, oh, forget it. I, I can't even begin to tell you because no eyes see, no ear is heard, and it hasn't even entered into your heart. Just think of the best place you could, and you're not even close. Not even close. And then at the end of 2 Corinthians, Paul says, Well, look, I'm going to have another go. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 3, he says this, And I know that this man, speaking of himself, was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. Verse 4. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. And I dare say it's not so much that man may not utter it, it's just that man can't. He got a glimpse of heaven. He wrote to the Philippians in chapter 1 and he said, look, quite frankly... If you've seen what I've seen, you'd be in two minds as well. He says to the Philippians, I know that if I can stave off my execution, stave off my death, I'll be able to bless you. So in that respect, I'm prepared to do the selfless thing. I'm prepared to lay down my life and serve you. But quite frankly, guys, I've seen what's awaiting me and I can't wait. I'd rather be there than here. That's what he said. You know, we now have enough documented evidence of people who've had these so-called near-death experiences to know that life, physical life coming to an end, is not the end of a person's existence. The, The overwhelming weight of evidence for people who have died, perhaps on an operating table or perhaps in some tragedy, is that they have sensed themselves still very much conscious, very much aware going somewhere we tend to hear the nice ones we tend to hear the ones about the people who came down a tunnel of light but you know they're the rarer ones the more common ones are the ones where people are being dragged somewhere where they don't want to go there is something beyond this life it says in revelation 21 verse 4 in fact the book of revelation contains more references to heaven than any book in the Bible, some 50 references, direct references to what heaven is like. And it says in Revelation 21 verse 4, He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain or any more, for the former things have passed away. 
So we get a glimpse of what heaven is like. But you know, mostly heaven is described as a place of incredible and intense worship. Incredible and intense worship. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 13 And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that's in them say, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honour and glory and might forever and ever. Heaven is a place of phenomenal worship. What does it mean to worship? You know, we're created to worship. And this is the second purpose we have to discover. In recognising that life is short, we recognise that we are created for something beyond this world. We are created to worship. We are created to worship. You know, to worship means to focus on. It means to give up to. It means to surrender. It means to serve. It means to humble before. And it means to honour in the highest way. You know, the old English wording in weddings used to be an exchange between the man and the, the woman With my body, I thee worship. We don't say that anymore because essentially we now understand that that level of devotion, which we call worship, is due only for one person, that is God himself. But it's an interesting thought that in marriage, a total surrender, with my body, I thee worship. I give myself so completely to you. You know, that's why when we worship, that's why singing, is so important. Even dancing, praying, scripture reading, giving of our finances, giving offerings, and serving God with our gifts is so important. In fact, in the Hebrew mindset, the way you served God was by serving someone else that cost you something. That's how they worshipped. You know, if you read history, you'll find that, uh, in fact, this is what C.S. Lewis said, you'll find that Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they've become so ineffective in this world. It's an amazing thought. There's a story in the New Testament of a rich man in Luke 16, verse 19 and on. And he used to feast sumptuously every day, it says. And at his gate, verse 20, was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores. He desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, or hell, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things but now he is comforted here and you're in anguish besides all this between us is a great chasm which has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you 
may not be able to, and none may cross from there to us. I'll pause there for a moment. This is before Christ died on the cross. Jesus is telling this story to say, when people have died up until this point, they've gone to the place of the dead, Hades, this place where souls go. One is called Hades, the other one is called Paradise. And we know that after Christ died, he closed this down and gave entrance to heaven to all the righteous. And this Hades, this place called hell, is the opposite of heaven. Torment, anguish, pain, deep regret. That's happening. And contrast that with heaven. No more pain, no more sighing, no more tears, no more regret. Well, you notice also it says that once you're there, you can never get out. This concept that you can be bought out, purgatoried out, whatever. You know, purgatory, not even the Roman Catholic Church preaches that anymore. They abandoned that in the what's called the Second Vatican Council. Not even Catholics believe that anymore. Because it's not true. It was never in scripture. It's just not true. You know, the choices we make now in this life affect us for eternity. The words we speak, the thoughts we allow our minds to dwell on, the actions we do will all form the basis of how we will be judged and spend eternity. But ultimately, it's what we do with Jesus. It's how much we allow his purpose in our hearts and lives to have precedence right now that counts. It goes on and says, Then I beg you, Father Abraham, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that they may warn them, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. He said, No, Father Abraham, if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, If they don't hear Moses and the prophets or the scripture, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And of course, Christ was referring to himself. You know what that means? Essentially, if you want to reject Christ, you want to choose a lost eternity, you're free to do so. But you know, your life will nevertheless last for an eternity. Jesus said in Matthew 10, I tell you the one to fear. Don't fear the one who can hurt your body here on earth. Fear the one who can cast both your body and your soul into hell forever. That's what Jesus said. Gee, pastor, it sounds like you're preaching fire and brimstone. No, actually, I'm just quoting Jesus. And because Jesus talked this way, they killed him. So the choice that you have today, because you can discover life's meaning, the choice you have today is, was Jesus right? Because if he was right, I need to do something about it. If he was wrong, then there really is no purpose, there's no meaning to life, and all this is rather pointless. Well, let's pray. Father, life is too short to try and seek out our own pleasures. Life is too short simply to try and numb the pain. Life is too short simply to blame you and run from you. It's just too short and eternity is too long. 
So I pray, Father, for those within the sound of my voice right now that there would be a strange stirring in their hearts to come home, a strange stirring to settle accounts with eternity, a strange stirring in their hearts that what they have done is not too late to be forgiven, to be restored and to be renewed. And if that's you, if you know that your heart, if your life is not right before God, you know that if you were to die now that you would go to a Christless eternity. You know that you've never accepted, traded your life for his. You've never handed over your life, the reins of your life, the steering wheel of your life to the one who wants to rule and reign in your life, the one who died to pay the price. If that's you, I'd love to pray for you and pray with you at the end of this. But right now I pray that we who know you would not allow you to be crowded and clouded out of our hearts and minds. But Lord Jesus, we would come closer to you that we might be in your presence so that we might hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Finding purpose and meaning for life. If you're struggling to find any point to life at all, then we hope tonight's discussion has opened your mind to Jesus' view. I encourage you to stay with us as Dr. Corbett continues to explore the process of finding purpose and meaning for life over the coming weeks. If you'd like to listen again to tonight's program, you may like to purchase a CD copy for $5.50, including postage and handling. Just contact Lagana Media at PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. Please quote the program title, Finding Purpose and Meaning, Session 3. Finding Truth Matters resources are also available via the website at www.findingtruthmatters.org. If you'd like to subscribe to Finding Truth Matters monthly e-newsletter perspectives, visit findingtruthmatters.org and click subscribe. Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett is a production of Lagana Media. We look forward to joining you at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.